Well, one of the great American oil families is the Yates family. They made their fortune in oil, but it was quite a surprise to them. Actually, their fortune comes from what is now known as the Yates Oil Fields, or the Yates Pool, they call it. Uh, but back in the 1920s and 30s during the Great Depression, it was little more than just a ranch for, uh, for sheep. It was, it was a, a farm that was barely uh, making ends meet. As a matter of fact, at this point, uh, it was owned by a man named Yates, and he was nothing but a poor rancher. As a matter of fact, he couldn't even pay his mortgage and he was in danger of losing the farm, which was really a very common thing back in the 1920s and 30s during the Great Depression. Well, what's interesting is that his family uh, was in such rough shape that they had to go on the public assistance programs, which was also very common, you know, back in the day. And uh, they were barely surviving uh, until one day when a seismographic uh, crew from an oil kind of refining company, uh, drilling company, shows up at his family farm and says, we think there might be oil on your land, and we want to drill a wildcat well. Now, wildcat well is, is sort of just a shot in the dark, just put a hole in the ground and see if we strike oil kind of a deal. Um, well, what's amazing is that they began to drill, and at 1,115 feet, they hit one of the nation's largest oil reserve. The original draw was, get this, 80 thousand barrels of oil a day. And the next wells produced over double that. 30 years later, the government reports that they are still producing 125,000 barrels of oil every single day. Now this is unbelievable. And yet, old poor man Yates owned it all. But at the time, he was living on government Assistance. At the time, he could barely feed his family, right? And, and the question becomes is, why? Why was this? I mean, he was a millionaire, but he just didn't know it. Why? Because he didn't know that the oil was in the ground. Now, I think the same thing is true of many of us in this room. Many of us, we would claim to be Christians, we would claim to have some sort of salvation experience with God. We would, we would claim to have some sort of defining moment where we were made right with God. And yet, and I don't mean to be offensive by this at all, but many of us in this very room, while we claim this name of Christian, we live in spiritual poverty. We live as if the relationship with God was a God's out there somewhere and he's not in here. But God doesn't want it like that. God wants this in here sort of re relationship. There, there's a, a great Christian philosopher and writer. Uh, his name is uh, J.I. Packard. And he, he says it like this. Listen, I love this quote. He says, a little knowledge of God is worth way more than a great deal of knowledge about God. He, he, he says, it, it's one thing to know a whole bunch about God, but it's a whole different thing to really know who he is to really know the depth of who he is. Uh, in other words, many of us, in many of us in this very room, we come to church and we know the songs and we know the routine and we even know the Bible verses and the Bible stories. We know a whole bunch about him, but we often live in spiritual poverty. We don't really know him. We know a whole bunch about him. We, we, we skim the depth of the spiritual deep. And friends, that is not the heart of God for us. We're content to live on the sidelines in this, you know, this spiritual game called Christian faith. 
We're content to know stuff about it, but, but God is, is calling us to get into the game, to get onto the field, to not be content with just knowing, but to really know him. And there is a profound difference. And so a couple weeks ago, we began this series called Closer. And the idea was that, was that God wants a relationship with us that's real, that's close, that he has, he has moved toward us, that he created this garden existence that we could do life with him. But you and I, humanity, you know this, we run all the time. We turn all the time. We move away from him all the time. And then last week we talked about how you and I have a role in this relationship with God, that God has shown up. God has done everything he can to be with us, but you and I run from him and that you and I have to show up to the party. We, we put this little picture of, uh, of the creation of Adam by Michelangelo up on the screen. Do you remember this? And it's an amazing photo. It's an amazing picture where, where uh, Michelangelo depicts God as, as, as reaching toward man with his arm extended, his fingers upward, doing all that he can to reach toward us. But there's this little gap that's left between God and Adam. It's just a little gap. But Adam is, is lazy. He, he's not fully extended. He's holding something back. And the, and the idea is that you and I, we have a responsibility in this relationship with God that you and I have to move toward him. But many of us are just content to know about him and we, we're content to live in, in spiritual poverty. But this is not God's great desire for us. God wants to do life with us. He wants us to listen to me. He wants us to know his presence in our life. This is big. This is game changing. This is world changing. This is life changing for you. And I know you hear that expression all the time. All oh, this will change your life. No, this is true. This will change who you are. When you discover that God's presence wants to reside in you. Where he wants to know you. Not just for it to be known about or to know of, but to know you. This changes everything, friends. Um, there is this late great philosopher. He's an English philosopher. His name is Anthony Collins. And he's a writer and he's a nobleman. And he lived this lavish sort of a life. And what's interesting, back in the 1700s, most of his life he, he spent between, somewhere between an atheist and an agnostic. Uh, and you know what an atheist is. An atheist is someone who just basically believes there is no God. Um, but an agnostic is someone who can't quite decide. And so they kind of tread this middle ground where, where they don't want to get too close to the God thing or they're going to get sucked in right? And they're not quite ready to be suckered like that. But, but at the same time, they don't want to live such an abandoned life away from God so that at the end, when it's all said and done, they don't want to be found on the wrong team, if you know what I mean, right? So that's an agnostic. And, and Colin sort of lived in these two worlds. And he says, he, that's how he lived until he had this game-changing encounter. He said this, he said, of all the encounters that my affluent life, this wealth-filled life afforded me, he said, none changed me as much as a, uh, an experience I had with a, what he called a commoner, a poor person, just an everyday person. He, he tells the story in his memoirs how, how he was walking down a pathway, literally cutting through a pathway, and he runs into a commoner, and he thought the commoner was not paying attention. He thought the commoner was rude. The commoner was in this rush. And so he says to this, this common man, he says, where are you going, sir, in such a hurry? And this commoner writes, to, or says to him, to church, sir, to church. And then uh, Colin says to him, he says, and what may I ask to do, are you going to do at your church? 
And this person says to Collins, well, I'm going to worship God there. I'm going to worship God there. And then he adds, sir, right? Sir. And then Collins says, uh, he, he, he retorts, he goes, he says, to worship God. Well, let me ask you about your God. And Collins later writes that he asked this in a mocking way. He was trying to mock this little man, he said. He says, let me ask you about your, your God. He says, is your God big or is your God small? And again, this was meant to mock him. And, and, and this, this common man, this everyday man says this. He says, he is both, sir. He is both. And, and, and Collins says he snapped back. He, he almost shouted back at the man. How can he be both, small and big? How can God be both? And then this man's answer literally changed Collins' life. He says this. He is so great that heaven, he, listen, he is so great that heaven cannot contain him but so small that he can dwell in my heart. And, and Colin writes this, he, 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 says, he says, of all the books that I ever read or, and all the books that I ever wrote and of all the lectures that I have ever heard and all the lectures I have ever given, no encounter has ever changed me as much because of this. And then he said this, this is why it changed him. He said, quote, that he could not escape, that this man walked in the presence of God. He, he said, when I met this man, I, I just knew that it wasn't an about God sort of an experience. He didn't just know about God, but he knew God, that he walked with God, that he was in the presence of God. There was just something different about this man. And then later he writes, I wanted that. I wanted that. I wanted to know my creator. I wanted to know this God if he's real. I didn't just want to know about him. I wanted to know him. Do you want, do you want to know one of the most amazing verses in all of the Bible? It's an amazing verse, uh, at least to me. It may not be amazing to you, but it's an amazing verse to me. It's found in the book of John. Uh, John records the life of Jesus, records some of the details of the life of Jesus, uh, one of the firsthand accounts of his life. And, and he writes some words that Jesus said to some of his closest Followers, Now follow me on this. Listen to what Jesus says to some of his closest followers. See if you don't get this. He says, John 16, 7. He says, I tell you the truth. He says, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. It's for your own good that I'm going to get out of here. I'm, I'm going away. Now this doesn't make a lick of sense if you're one of the 12. If you're one of the closest followers, now think about this. These men had given up everything in their life. They've given up their homes, their fortunes, their careers, oftentimes their families to follow after Jesus. They were with Jesus 24-7 for three years at, at this time. And, and now all of a sudden Jesus is saying, oh, hey, hey, by the way, the party's coming to an end. The dance is almost over. I'm going away. And it's for your own good. Now, now you put yourself in their position. If, if this was you, you would have been hanging on every word this man had ever said. You, you, you had come to this point where you, you loved when he taught. You, you loved to watch him do his miracles. You loved to watch him interact with people and care for the poor and, and care for the oppressed. And you loved, loved, loved to see him stand up to the political and ruling class of his day. Your whole life was invested in this man. Everything you believed was invested in this man. Your hope for all of humanity was invested in this man. Now he comes to the end. He says, oh, by the way, the party's over. 
I'm going away and it's for your own good. For your own good. That's like being in high school. You remember when you were dumped in high school? You remember this one? And your, and your boyfriend or your girlfriend says, it's for your own good because, hey, listen, I'm out of here. The dance is over. But you need somebody who's going to really love you, babe. And that ain't me. You need somebody who's going to be around for the long haul. Like, this is for your own good. Yeah, right. It's like when I spank my kids, and I say, this is for your own good. They're like, yeah, as they scream their little heads off, right? Right? These guys are thinking, how could this possibly be good for us? We have invested everything in you. And they're like, Jesus, who are you kidding? But Jesus wasn't kidding around at all. Jesus ratchets it up and he says it like this. He says, unless I go away, because listen, because unless I what? Say this with me, go away. Say this with me, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Unless I go away. Jesus is saying there is something more that you need. Well, wait, wait. I thought like, I thought if you, since Jesus came, that was everything that we need. And Jesus is saying, no, there's something more that you, that you need. And listen, I get it. There's a whole bunch, even in this room right now, who, who you go, well, Mr. Preacher guy, if you could just march God up on that whole stage up there and I could see God, or if you could play me a video of God, then I would be all in on this religious stuff. If you showed me like Jesus right here, right now, now on this stage, I am following him. I am like, all my cards are on the table. I am fully invested at that point. When you say that is for most of us, you would say, yeah, 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 that's me. And so we think like, oh, wow. If you're like me at all, you've, you've thought, if I could have lived in Jesus's day and watched what Jesus did and watched what he said and did that whole little walk on water thing with him, I would be like, woo, I'm in. But Jesus says, no, you wouldn't have been all in. As a matter of fact, I got something better for you. Well, how could it get any better than that? Jesus says, no, no, no. I got something better because unless I go away, I cannot send you what you really need. And what you really need is gonna change the whole God-man experience. He, he, he says, what you really need is not God out there, you need God in here. You don't need just God with you. You need God in you. And that's different. This is different. You, you see, if you, were to, if you were to back this whole, whole thing up, the Emmanuel principle, when Jesus came, was God is now with us. Y'all remember this? That that is the point of Jesus, is that God is with us. We can watch him, we can experience him, we can experience how he experiences God. We can see what he thinks about God and how he lives with God, and we can emulate that, we can follow that. But Jesus says, now it's different than that. It's better than that. As a matter of fact, if you were to start at the beginning of the book, the Bible, you would see that the, the God-man experience went from this with God in the garden to this law that told us how to relate to God. It gave us these rules and these morality things. It gave us these principles. It gave us these celebrations, all designed to point us to God. But God goes, why are you running? Why do you keep fighting me? Why do you keep turning away from me? These rules are supposed to keep you in check. How are we doing at obeying the rules, everybody? Not good. 
And so he says, you need something more than rules. And so he says, I'm going to send my son, the Emmanuel, to be with you, God with us. But even after all that's said and done, God says, now I've given you this picture, but there's something more that you need, something, dare, dare I say, better for you. Because unless I go, I cannot send to you what you really need. And what you need is the counselor. The scripture paints this picture that it's the very, listen to this, it's the very presence of God in your life. And I know this can sound weird to some people. Like God in me? Yeah. Yeah. God, not just with you, but in you. And this changes everything. But so many of us are content to live in spiritual poverty when God's right there asking to come in, to move in, to be within you. So, so Paul comes along and, and he, he's trying to teach the early Christians of this principle. And, and he writes to the church in the city of Corinth, the Corinthian church, these young Christians who were, were used to a very uh, religious culture, a very pagan culture, a Roman pagan culture where they had to do things and say things and bow a certain way and have all these sacrifices. And they, they just had this religious thing going on, right? And he says to them, I'm going to reveal the truth of God, the mystery of God, he calls it to you. And here's what he writes. Here's what he writes. Now listen, this is for you and this is for me. And I know this is going to sound weird. I'm telling you in advance, this is going to sound weird. But it's not weird. Jesus knows that this is best for us. Listen to what he says. Paul writes this. this. This is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now it is disclosed to the saints. Who are the saints? Those who are trying to follow Jesus. Not special people who got it all together, not special people who do it all right, but people who are trying to follow Jesus. If that's you, if you've like given your heart to him, the Bible calls you a saint. And he says, I'm gonna reveal something to the saints. It's been hidden for a long, long time, but I'm gonna tell you something that you need to know because this changes the God-man relationship. He says, to them, the saints, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And what the, what the mystery is, is this, which is Christ, where? In you. Christ in you. No longer is it gonna be God out there or Jesus right here next to you or with you. <laughs> No, no, no. It's the spirit of the living God. It is the spirit of Christ coming and taking up resonance with in you. And it changes the game. Amen? You hear me? Okay, hold on. Hold on. Do you hear me? This is the spirit of God. He says, it's no longer good enough for you to know about him, but to live with him. Live with him, walk with him, think with him, respond like him, to do life with him inside of you. This is the next chapter of the God-man relationship. This is the mystery that so many people don't get about the Christian faith. And they look at some people, we look at some people and they go, well, wow, that guy is just weird. He is so on fire for God. There's something different about, why is he so into God? It's because God is so into him. It is because God is living in him. And this is the invitation Jesus gives to you. He says, I am going to send to you. 
to you, to you, the, the counselor, the spirit of God, the presence of God. Now, I go to the gym often, as many of you can tell, right? And uh, so I go to this gym, and they, they have all these, these machines, and they're called hammer strength machines, right? And that's like the name brand, and they hang this like banner up across like the gym and, and, and you can just picture this in your mind. So you got all these machines, they put this like banner up all the time and it'll have the, uh, it'll have some really buff guy. So it'd be, if you can just pitch, it's like, you think of like a guy looks a lot like me up on, on the thing, right? And so it's like this really buff guy up there and, uh, and then it has the logo. And, and then this, this company has this thing that they print all the time. And, and, and it says, your body is your temple. Then it says, exercise like it. And I saw this, I go, oh, so close. So, so close. Because your body is not your temple. What is your body? It is the temple of the living God. I think they got it so close because what they were doing is they were borrowing from Paul's writing to the Corinthians who were trying to understand this God within you sort of a thing where Paul comes along and writes to them. He says, do you not know my brothers that God is not out there? My brothers and my sisters, God is now in you. Your body is the temple of the living God, not exercise like it, but live like it. God in you And I think about this and my mind is blown because this God who is so great and glorious and so amazing. And when you think about all that God has done and the creation of God and, and the magnificence of God and the wonder of God and the glory of God and the beauty of God. And you see all this and you just go, whoa, have you ever had those moments? Like maybe you're standing at the edge of the ocean and you just look and you go, whoa, I am so small and God is so big. Have you ever had that experience, anybody? Or you're standing at the edge of a mountain pass and Colorado and you're looking over the deal and you go, whoa, God is so big and I am so small. And you get this emotion going that, that like if you're me at all, your mind is blown and you're going, how could this God who is so big be so small to live in me? Maybe the word isn't small at all. Maybe it should be how can this God who is so big be so personal to live in me. I, I heard this little story about a doctor who was seeing patients and this little girl comes in, maybe four years old or so, and, and the doctor was trying to work his bedside manner the best he could with this little girl who was all kind of scared to be there. And, and, and so the doctor has got his stethoscope out and he's you know, doing his examination. He's listening to her lungs and he says, I'm gonna listen to your heart. And I wonder, am I gonna, am I gonna hear uh, Oscar the Grouch in there? And she says, no. And he says, well, am I gonna hear the cookie monster in there? And she says, no. Well, am I gonna hear big bird in your heart? And, and she says, no. And then he says, well, it must be Barney. And at that, she lit, lit up and she goes, no, Barney's on my underpants. <laughs> Jesus is in my heart. And listen, we go, oh, how cute. 
and how simplistic and how simple that little girl is. But that little girl was telling a great theological truth that the God who is so big and so strong and so glorious has decided to make himself so personal that he has come and taken up residence within you so that you will not know about him, but so that you will know him. And there is a profound difference. Do you hear what I'm saying, friends? Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus one time was was giving a teaching about this God in you sort of an experience. And I want you to hear this. This too is found in John's record, the seventh chapter. This is an amazing thing, verse 37. Uh, it, it begins with these words. I want you to, don't miss this. This is so important. If we miss this, this will be devastating to you. If you are a spirit-minded person, if you are a Christ-following type of person and you miss this, then you have missed everything about the gospel. You have missed everything about the Christian faith. If you miss this, don't miss this. Here's what Jesus says. On, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, so there's this big party going on that was prescribed in the Old Testament part, right? All these rules that they had to follow. And it even gave them rules about how to party and when to party and what to party for. And, and so he says, on the last day of this big party, so Jesus is celebrating this big party. And it says, Jesus stood and said in a very loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Pause. That's crazy. That's weird to hear that kind of language. Like you're at a concert and you've been screaming your head off for hours and your buddy goes, hey, don't worry about going to the drinking fountain. Don't worry about going to the cafe. Just, just listen to what I said. and It'll be like thirst quenching to you. And you're like, yeah, whatever, dude. Right? And Jesus in the middle of this party says, don't you dare go for another drink. Because what I'm going to tell you is thirst quenching in a way that you have never thought of, that you have never experienced. And I have something more for you that you have not seen. And it says this. He says, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from where? Within him. Say it loud. Within him. Now you want to talk about weird Jesus says, I'm going to give you like something to drink. And that's like weird enough. But he says, now you're going to be having these streams of living water coming from within you. And these people are going, what are you talking about, man? You have lost it. He says this, by this he meant, John is, is giving clarity what Jesus says. He says, by this he meant whom those, of whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The spirit was going to come later, right? He goes away and he's going to send it. And that spirit is going to be the living water. That spirit is going to be the stream. That spirit is going to be the quenching of your thirst of your soul. He says, who you're going to later receive. Up to that point, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. He had not yet gone away. And so he hadn't sent the counselor yet. But he's saying, one day I'm going to send this counselor and this counselor is going to come and he's going to change the whole God-man relationship. I'm going to be closer than you ever thought possible. This is going to be better for you. Right now I am with you, but later I'm going to be within you and that's way better. The Spirit of God is going to flow into your life, through your life, and out of your life. And you won't even need to hold my hand anymore. You're not going to need me right there anymore. Because I'm going to be in here. 
And in here is way better. The Old, Test- or the Old King James Version of the Bible, I don't know if any of you are familiar with this, but it, it says of this whole thing, it says that the spirit is like a river flowing out of you or within you, right? And uh, the Old King James says it's like a, the spirit is like a river flowing from your belly. From your belly. And, and it's interesting, the Greek word that is used here is kol- kolios. Kolios. And it, it literally means the deepest part of who you are. It's that, it's that internal part of you that, that gets all tied up when you're passionate about something, when you're fired up about something and, and you kind of got those butterflies or you got that anxiety or something that's, have you ever had this before? Like there's just something fire in your bones that is so deep, so, so alive, you can't hardly describe it, but, but you know it's something deep inside of you. You ever had that experience? Anybody? It was like um, the first time I ever kissed Lynette. Now listen, I was like, hey, baby doll, I'm about ready to give you a treat that you're not going to believe. I was so debonair and smooth, right? But inside, my heart was pumping. My belly was turning, right? Those butterflies were going, you know what I'm saying, right? And and Jesus comes along and says, there is going to be something so deep inside of you, something so alive inside of you, It's going to be like this river that wells up and it comes in you and through you and out of you and you're not even going to know what to do with it. It's going to change everything about the God-man relationship. Now, now stop for a moment and to think about how come Jesus put it in this, this term of, what was he saying about a river to these people? Think about who he was talking to. These were Jewish people in Israel. Where is Israel located? The Middle East. Have you ever seen pictures of the Middle East? We're not talking about Michigan people. It's dry. It's a desert. It's arid. And they understood this idea of a river of life. Why? Because they had very few sources of fresh water. A few would come from the mountains and they would build their homes along the mountain streams that would come down from the mountains. Why? Because it was the source of life for them. But when that mountain dried up in the summer in the heat of the desert, They were lifeless and they understood the preciousness of water and they would have to go up and retrieve the water because they needed it for life. And so Jesus comes along and he's referring to something that these people get. He's saying, you know when you guys go after water? You know when your stream dries up inside and you're afraid of death coming to your family? When you're afraid that you have nowhere else to turn because you need this thing called life that comes from water? He said, it's like that in your soul. And these people knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was saying, you need something so deep in your soul that it is going to keep you alive when everything else is making you dead. You need this in your soul because it is going to keep you alive when this world is killing your soul, when it's killing your heart, when it's taking your belief away. You're going to need something so deep inside of you. And I can't give that to you unless I go. But when I go, I'm going to give you the counselor. But here's the problem. So many of us, uh, we, we get into this God-man relationship and, and, and there are times in our life where we feel it. Like we're like, I am in. I am like all the way in. But then there are these other times we just feel he's a million miles away. Right? Come on, you've been there. Right? And, and you go like, I want it, but I don't want it. I, I want it. I'm going to try it. And I'm not going to try it. And you kind of have this wrestling match with God. And so here's what I see that most of us do. And I've done all of these things. 
But this is what we often do to bridge this gap with God, to close this gap, because we realize that there is this gap between us and God. And we go, that's not how I'm supposed to be. That's not what I'm created to be. And so oftentimes when we find ourselves away from God, uh, here's what we often do. We just try harder. We, we try to be more spiritual. Um, we apply some spiritual elbow grease. We pray longer. We pray bigger prayers, fancier prayers, deeper prayers. Uh, we read more of the Bible. And like, we're like, I didn't understand what was on page one, so I'm just going to go to page two. And we just keep flipping pages thinking somehow if we try harder that we will be more spiritual and that we'll somehow close the gap with God. Now listen, my guess is you've tried this, right? I know I have. So what do we do? We, we serve more, we volunteer more, we give more, we pray more, we read more, we're, we're, we're even nice to people who we don't even like, right? We do this to somehow try to apply some spiritual elbow, elbow grease. Now listen, we are supposed to try to apply spiritual elbow grease to our relationship to God. No doubt about it. We get this, right? We do have a duty, but how, how does that work? Anybody ever have great success? Like you see, you got a buddy in life group and he's like a spiritual giant and he gets up at 5 a.m. to pray and you're like, it's working for him. And so you just try to get up at 5 a.m. But you're not a 5 a.m. guy. You're not even an 8 a.m. guy. Like at 8 a.m., nobody even likes you at 8 a.m. Nobody. Jesus doesn't even like you at 8 a.m. Right? He doesn't, no. Uh, but by 5 a.m., you're like a zombie and you get up and it is dead. But you're trying. Let me ask you, Honestly. How does it work in your life when you just try harder? I get you a little bit there, but does it bridge this gap? For me, it doesn't. And believe me, I have tried. I have tried. And, and so because trying doesn't work, here's what we often do next. We, we pretend. We, we go into the pretending mode and, and, and we just pretend that it's working. So we have this fake it till we feel it type of thing going on. And so we come to church and we say, hi, so good to see you. I love this place. I love Jesus. I love God. I love the pastor even. I just love, I'm just, I just love, right? And, and we just pretend we know all the words. We know all the songs we give. We, we care about all the things we're supposed to care about. But in the end, let's just be honest. How many people have pretended a little bit in their life? Come on. Sure you have. And it doesn't get you where you want to go. Because at the end of your pretending, there's still a gap. At the end of your pretending, there's still a hole in your soul. And you know it. And so here's what I see next that a whole bunch of people have done. Is they try spiritual venues. They leave one church and they hop to another church. They leave one preacher and hop to another preacher. They leave one Christian thing to another Christian things, all in the hopes of finding the right venue, the right spiritual input to somehow help you along. And, and at one point you're like, you know, I, I, listen, I hear these conversations around here. Man, Pastor Jay used to be so good. I don't know what the deal is anymore. He's just not bringing it. I mean, it's just not, I mean, are you feeling it? I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it anymore. And you go and you try someone else. And man, Chad used to just hammer it, man. He used to, when he sung, I just was like, whoa. I'm not feeling whoa anymore. So I think I'm gonna, I think I'm just gonna check someplace out. You wanna go? And the truth is, you hop from one holy huddle to the next holy huddle and nothing changes in your soul. Am I right? Nothing. Because that's not the fix. 
And, and so some, some people, you, you, you try harder and then you pretend and, and, and then, and then you, you, you have this you know, spiritual switch of venue and then you try this rededication thing. You, you ever try this rededication thing? And listen, it is good to rededicate, but this is what we do. Like the pastor gets up and he starts saying, hey, we need to rethink this in our life. And you pray that prayer over and you feel good for a little while, Amen. See, I grew up in going to church camp. Anybody grew up going to church camp? Come on. Church camp was awesome. But here's how it happened every single year. You go to this church camp and you kind of hear these great preachers and they're firing you up and you're all pumped up about it and you get all emotional about it. And then when the last day comes, the preacher always saves the best stories to the last day. And so he tells these stories about how these kids all came to camp last year, this very camp, and on their way home, they got in a car accident, and all of them died, all 72 of them, all of them, every one of them died. And you're going, what? And the preacher goes, and this one kid, he just wasn't ready, and he didn't know God, and it wasn't good and you need to rededicate your heart to God. And I would hear these stories, and every single year I'd be like, oh, that's me, I, I wanna be right with God, I don't wanna die on the way home, right? Because you're so emotional, right? And then after like five years of this, going to church camp, you kinda go, man, how do we have any kids in the high school program anymore if they all die every single year? Because you heard the same story every year, right? The kids died from this very camp. And so you try this rededication thing. How does it work, friends? Come on, you've done it. You've been here in this room and you bowed your head. And you said, God, I don't want to go back anymore. I don't want to do it like that again. I want to be different. And then three days later, you're back to the same old, same old. And then what happens is that you give up altogether. You give up all together. Jesus says this, but I tell you, my friends, it is good that I am going away. It is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Uh, th this word counselor, uh, what, what do you think of when you hear the word counselor in modern day America? You don't think of a shrink. Well, maybe you think of a shrink and maybe that's true. Uh, but, but you also think of a lawyer, right? That's what they call a lawyer, an attorney, they call him the counselor, right? Counsel approach the bench. It's interesting, this word that is used in, in John, when Jesus chose this word, a counselor, he chose the word describing a lawyer. That was what it meant in its day. It's literally made of two, it's the word parakalitos, parakalitos, and it comes from two different Greek words. The first word is kaleo. Now listen to this, kaleo, it means you are called, or to this you are called. And, and the other word is para, which means alongside. And so get this, get this, get this. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who is called alongside of you to be your defense. Come on, come on, come on. He's called alongside of you. It changes this whole God-man relationship. He is now, this is his role. He is in you to come alongside you, to fight with you, to be your defense. And so this is how it happens in the courtrooms of heaven. Listen, and you know this is true of your life. All of a sudden that you have this enemy called the adversary, called Satan, and he comes before you and he starts going, hey, hey, I know all about your lust. 
I know all about your greed. I know all about your selfishness. I know all about your junk that's going on in your life. Who do you think you are? You play all that church stuff and you go to church and you sing all those little songs. I know who who you really are. Then all of a sudden in this moment, listen to this. The counselor goes, hold on, hold on, hold on. What up? Because he points to the son of man who is Jesus and says, you see the scars? You see the nail prints? He's paid their price. They are not guilty anymore, period. They are free. They are justified. They are made right with God, not because of who they are, but because what the son of God has done for them. And he acts as our attorney, our defense. He comes alongside us and he lifts us when we fall. When it's going south in our life, he goes, whoa, 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 come on, no. He's our defense. Let me, let me tell you this story I heard. I heard this, um, uh, this pastor in Southern California, true story, absolutely true story. He, he, he tells of a time when his wife and his wife's friend were in the front seat of their car. They're going down a California freeway. And if you've ever been to California freeways, there are crazy. 2 a.m., wall-to-wall cars, right? L.A. County, the whole deal, right? And so this pastor and his wife, his pastor, uh, this pastor's wife and and, and a friend, they're going down the road and they are cruising down the road, 60 miles an hour, bumper-to-bumper type of traffic going on. And, and, And right behind the pastor's wife is the pastor's daughter. And she was about three years old. And somehow, uh, when this mom and her friend were talking, they're like sipping on their coffee and the whole deal, and they're just having the time of their life up front, thinking the daughter's behind them. Somehow, all of a sudden, they hear this, this crack on the door, and the door open, and this rushing wind and a faint scream from their little girl. And of course, they jerk, turn around as fast as they can, and they saw, they know just in an instant they noticed that somehow this little girl had unclipped her 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 uh, uh, child seat and had grabbed the handle and just gotten sucked right out of the car in the middle of the highway, doing 60 miles an hour. And, and this pastor says that his wife, you know, reacts as fast as she can, and she slams on the brake. I mean, just intra- slams on the brake. And, and, and just comes to a screeching halt. It says that, he says that his wife, not really thinking in that moment, just jumps out into traffic and starts making a mad dash for her, her little girl. And then the pastor begins to describe what he calls these uh, moments of wonder. We could call them miracle moments, but the pastor called them these moments of wonder because he says that his wife gets back to his little girl, which was about 300 feet behind the car at this point. And he finally, she finally gets there. And she, when she gets there, um, it, it dawned on her that, that obviously no car had hit her, which she can't even conceive of how that's possible on this bumper-to-bumper highway. And she literally, when she's with this girl, she looks up and about only six to 10 inches from her little girl is a semi-truck without a trailer, slammed on its brakes right in front of his little girl. And he says, that's wonder number one. That's what he said in this message, just wonder number one. I have no idea. How is that even possible? And then he says that his wife goes on to tell him that this semi-truck driver, this big old burly man, jumps down out of the truck. You know, just his wife is frantic and horrified and, and, you know, just kind of completely out of control. And he says this this semi-truck driver just... (sighs) just kind of takes over in the moment and just with a calmness and a surety, he says, your little girl is still alive and we need to get her to our hospital right away. And so he says this, 
His wife had totally lost it. And, and so this man thinking for his wife picks up his little girl, gets her into the front of the semi. His wife and his wife's friend get into the semi. He says, this guy just cuts through traffic like you're getting out of my way. I don't care. I got a semi truck. And so he jets him to the hospital and he says, that's wonder number two, that this semi did not hit my daughter, but more than that, that this man was so gentle and responsive and together. And, and then he t- they take her to the hospital. They, they call ahead to the ER, the whole nine yards, and the whole ER team meets her. And, and, uh, and so when the doctor comes out and they examine the little girl, and he calls this wonder number three because the doctor looks at now the husband and the wife and says to them, he says, this is unexplainable. But your little girl is unconscious. But she's perfectly fine. Her blood pressure, her heart rate, not a broken bone in her. All her organs appear to be working. Everything seems to be fine. Maybe she'll wake up. And of course, the mom loses it at this point. She is just gushing and she picks up this little girl for a few moments and is just weeping over this little girl. And the pastor says, this is, this is wonder number three, the doctor saying this. But then wonder number four happens when he says his wife is just sobbing over his little girl and they're all crying. And all of a sudden, the little girl just opens one eye. Kind of like that, just one eye, opens one eye and says, it's all right, mommy. It's all right. I'm not afraid. And the mom goes, not afraid. And the mom is just totally hysterical, right? And uh, the little girl goes on to explain what the pastor said was another wonder. She says, I wasn't afraid because when I fell out of the car, I saw Jesus huddled over me and he held his hand up and he held back that big truck. Now listen, friends, I don't know what that girl saw. I can only presume that she's telling what she felt in that moment. I don't know if she had the right words to say. I don't know if it was an angel. I don't know if it's God himself. I, I really don't know. But I do know this, that the scripture says that the Holy Spirit is our defense that he comes and he does life in such a way that he takes his position up in front of us and he kind of holds back the world. He, he holds back the tidal wave that comes against us. And, and Jesus comes along and he, he teaches us that when the spirit comes, put this verse up there. It says, when the spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will lead you into all truth. And so listen, friends, when, when, when you feel abandoned by the world, when you feel alone in this world and you feel like you're sinking and that there's no one who really understands and no one who cares, the spirit of God, this counselor, he comes and he, and he stands before you and he goes, no, you're not alone. You have never been alone. And he lifts you in a way that you never thought possible. He says, he will guide you. Jesus says, he will guide you into a different truth that you are not alone. And so when you feel, when you feel like everything is spinning out of control and you made one bad decision after another bad decision, if you stop and you listen to his leadership, it says that he will guide you. He will move you to where you need to go. And this is how it begins with us. Like when, when, when you start to move in a direction and you're not quite sure you're supposed to be moving in this direction, but all of a sudden, you hear this little voice come to you and says, no, 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 listen, stop. Stop for a moment. Just stop for a moment. The Spirit of God 
will lead you into all truth. When you feel addicted and that the the claws of your addiction have driven so deep into your flesh that you feel like you will never escape. It says that that when the counselor comes to you, you will be freed because he will lead you into truth. If you follow him, if you heed his voice, if you humble your heart, if you submit your soul to him, he will guide you. He will guide you. Friends, this is the promise of Jesus. He says it gets better than life with me. It's life within you. It doesn't get any better than that. And let me tell you something, friends. This happens. This happens when you move in faith. When you obey, even when you're not quite sure. And I know that what this sounds like to somebody who, who may be not convinced and, and you're not sure about this whole God thing. I'm not going to believe and I'm not going to obey. But let me tell you, this is how it works. It is through faith. In the book of Galatians, let me just close with this one little ver- verse. In the book of Galatians, uh, it, it says these words. It says, let me ask you again. Does, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. Does God move in your life just because you're good enough at something? No, not at all. It says it is because you believe the message you have heard about Christ. It's when we come to believe, does he deposit his spirit in you? Even when you don't know it all, even when you're not sure where it's all gonna end, even when you're you're not even liking where he's taking you. But when you submit to him, when you believe, when you trust, when you learn to depend on him, he says, I'm gonna do more in your life than you ever thought possible. I'm gonna be in you. And you can't do any better than that. Amen. So Father in heaven, Um, tonight in in this very room, I I invite your spirit here, God. I I don't want to just know about you and I don't want our church just to know about you. Spirit of God, I'm asking that you would come and invade our soul. Spirit of God, I'm asking that you would uh, show yourself to be real in our lives. God, there are those in this room who, who have kind of known about you, but they really don't know you. I just pray, God, that you would just uh, speak to them in such a huge way right now, God. I, I don't know what it's gonna take. I really don't know, but God, you know. So whatever it takes, God, I'm asking that you would speak and that they would open their souls to you. Right now, friends, I'm asking you, open your soul to God. Tell him, come in, invade my space closer than you thought possible. Say, Spirit of God, I want, to, I want you to guide me. I want you to lead me. I want you to direct me. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be just with you. I want you in me. I want to do life with you, God. That is my goal. That is what I want. If you have a situation in your life right now that you're not sure about direction, you say, God, I'm going to follow your direction. I'm going to follow your leadership. I need you to speak to me, God, about this. And you tell him right now. And he will speak to you. 
Maybe you need to go to a Christian friend and, or, or, or a pastor around here and just say, hey, I need some help with this. I, I, I need some direction with this. And maybe we can lend a hand in that. I don't know. But you need to open your heart to Christ living in you. So Father in heaven, I pray that your grace would fall on each one in this place. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be so big and so powerful and so strong that we will not be able to miss you. God, I pray that the busyness of this life, the busyness of, of the season of your son's coming uh, will not distract us from what it's all about. You want to be closer than we ever thought possible. In Jesus' name, together we say, amen. Amen? Amen.